Genesis 17, 18, and 21. So he will uh, give you the verses as he goes if you want to read along. Thank you, sir. Um, this is uh, probably a little bit of feedback. I'm not sure why, but um, this is uh, uh, probably somewhat of a familiar passage, but unfamiliar at the same time. You have probably have all heard the story of uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah and Isaac, um, but perhaps you have not seen the laughter part. Um, that is a reoccurring theme. Um, and there's even more that we didn't look at, but we're going to look at eventually into this part of the uh, sermon. Uh, uh, but I wanted to spend some time here because uh, it's a very interesting story um, to see all the laughter and to see uh, um, the name that uh, Isaac is given, Isaac, and uh, what it implies about laughter as well. Um, and so we're going to dive into this, uh, just some quick backstory and summation of what uh, Ryan read for us. Uh, so back in Genesis 12, uh, God first approaches uh, Abraham and he tells him to take his family and to move out into a land to which he will guide him eventually. And uh, he gives him the promise that uh, he will, uh, through his offspring, bring blessings to the entire world um, for the first time. And uh, so Abraham and Sarah uh, are obedient and they head out and they move along and uh, God is continuing to remind them of this covenant he made with them, this promise to them. Um, but after many years, uh, there comes a time to which they begin to question whether this is going to happen or not. And we see some of that. But even before we get to our scripture uh, in chapter seven or 16, um, uh, Sarah says to Abraham to take one of her uh, servants uh, to use to bring forth the child because she doubts that God can do it at this point. She is so old. And uh, uh, Abraham does so. 
and they bring forth a, a child, Abraham and uh, Sarah's servant, uh, named Ishmael. And uh, God comes back and he says, says I'm, I'm, I'm still fulfilling my promise. And, the, and 17, Abraham falls to the ground in laughter. Uh, he was so unconvinced of this promise being fulfilled that he literally fell to the ground in laughter. Now, I don't know when the last time is you fell to the ground in laughter, um, but uh, it likely wasn't because God made a promise with you. Um, but I do think that you probably doubt a lot of things that God says he will do. Um, and I think we're going to see uh, that this is uh, a part of who all of, uh, who a part of all of us to a certain extent. And then in the next chapter, um, God comes back again, this time with a couple others, and we actually spent some time the last time I preached in some of this uh, passage, this was uh, leading up to uh, uh, Abraham's uh, prayer and trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but we see God, Christ, shows up with two angelic-like figures with him and once again promises, this time with the specific time frame, in a year's time, I will bring forth uh, the child that I promised you. And Sarah overhears and Sarah laughs because of she th the ridiculousness of which she thinks uh, this promise could be fulfilled. And God hears her and he says to her, why do you laugh? And she says, I wasn't laughing. And he says, yes, but, but you did. You laughed. Um, and uh, I think that uh, this is one of the, perhaps one of the most important, uh, least known scriptures you will find in the Bible. Um, I think that this is, uh, the crux of perhaps what we're going to talk about today, that little conversation. Um, but we're going to get to that towards the end. But uh, uh, it is going to, I think, hopefully fill your heart with joy to understand what God was doing uh, with Sarah and then Abraham, of course. Um, but so again, at the time, uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah are, not, uh, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. When God does, in fact, a year later, give them a child, he promised them Isaac. Um, uh, but before we get there, you have to understand something about Sarah's mindset and all of this. Um, for Sarah, this wasn't just a promise to which um, was she questioned whether it would be fulfilled or not. At this time, as a woman and as a, a wife, your, your honor, your fulfillment, your duty in a large sense was tied to your uh, caring for your family, to be the birther of uh, your family. Uh, and so um, either she was viewed very tragically or even shamefully because of her inability to this point to have brought forth a family and to uh, have cared for them uh, as that was the major role of uh, women in that culture was to, to care and love and serve the family. And uh, so Sarah, for Sarah, this was, this was much more than just whether God was going to do something or not. This was deeply rooted in who she was to be and what she wanted to be as a wife and a mother. Um, but he does, she does get Isaac. And uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, commentaries uh, and one of my favorite writers, Derek Kidner, writes this about the name Isaac. He says, the name Isaac, like Ishmael, Jacob, Judah, Joseph, is of a pattern common at the time, expressing in most cases a prayer such as, may God hear Ishmael. May God protect Jacob, etc. If Isaac analogously meant, may he smile upon me, to those who were in the secret, it spoke of the laugh, the promise, and the miracle that made the birth unique and the covenant predestined beyond all doubt. Uh, that is, uh, I believe, what Isaac is pointing us to. That is why he gave, uh, I, uh, he directed Isaac to be named Isaac. Um, but, uh, uh, before we get to the to the end point, um, I wanted to spend some time looking at a couple of different types of laughter in uh, our passage. So we're going to look at um, one we've read about, one we haven't read about, and then the an another that um, is less direct in Scripture but exists for all of us. The first one is a laughter of cynicism. This is uh, or the laughter of uh, a doubt. This is what we've seen uh, very directly in Abraham and in Sarah. Um, again, verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In 18, 
Uh, so Sarah laughed to herself and said, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? There was a cynicism to which they, they could not trust that this fulfillment, that this promise was going to actually happen. Um, so, you know, had the child come many years earlier, soon after the promise, um, I think Abraham and Isaac would have, their plan was to have children. They would have seen the fact that, okay, God is going to take some of the offspring, one of the offspring to which we plan to have, and use that to bless the nations. Uh, but they certainly would not have seen the birth itself as a miracle. It was a natural occurrence, what they had planned to happen. Um, and so there was a certain amount of doubt in the supernatural power of God. They could see God work through natural means, uh, but supernatural means, after a significant period of time, they began to doubt his ability to do so. And once they thought they came to the point where just it couldn't happen through the natural course, of nature, they couldn't trust God's ability to give it to them. Their expectation of children soon grew to their doubt of children and their doubt of God's ability to give them the child to which he promised. I also think you could see in the laughter a certain amount of protectionism of themselves. Um, I think that perhaps for some people this year, the fact that the Cavs lost to the Warriors in the finals was worse than all of the failures in Cleveland sports leading up to that point. Because for many years before last June, every Clevelander was self-protecting themselves with a bit of laughter. It's never gonna happen, woe is us, you know, we expect it. I, and, you know, if I, if I never tell myself it's going to happen, I don't have to deal with the disappointment of it happening. But then last year happened, and so perhaps some of you came into the finals this year with the hope that outmatched, outmatched the reality of the situation. Um, the Warriors were significantly more talented than, than the Cavs, but per, because you had experienced that fulfillment, that hope had come to fruition, you had an expectation of it to continue that you didn't have previous to last year. And so I think you can see through Abraham and Isaac a bit of that. Um, a, a years of this not happening. And, and now they're starting to guard their heart, not give hope, not uh, expect it to happen. And you have that bit of expectation for me. Um, some of you uh, who know me well, and most of you anyways, know my sense of humor can be somewhat irreverent at times, and I can hide my emotions through my sarcasm, or I try to. Um, and one of the things that I would joke about is living in Cleveland and uh, joke about my family and so on and so forth. And part of that is because I cannot trust God in this situation in, in, in many ways, especially when it comes to my joy. And so I will joke about it. I will hide try to, to hide in the humor of the situation, to hide from putting in hope, expecting for there to be a joy where I, don't, I, I doubt God can bring it at times. Um, it's kind of what we do all do at certain times, and I think you see that here with Abraham and Isaac as well. Or I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah as well. Um, and w what I want to challenge uh, you guys in, 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 a, in a big way today is, is this. I think many of us, when we think about when we doubt God or when unbelievers doubt God, we just think they just they can't believe in the situation. They just don't see it as good. And part of that is true, but perhaps one of the things that we fail in realizing is that one of the things that blocks us from God is the fact that it's so good. It's so promising. It's so hopeful. The gospel is, is huge. And part of the problem is not that the promise is so little, it's that it's so big. Because we don't want to hope to a certain extent. There's a part of us that doesn't want to trust it because we've experienced being let down so often. But let's not deny what the gospel says it is. 
Tim Keller says this, what the gospel promises is there's a world, a bright heaven of invention, a bright eternal world, and everything your heart has ever desired and more is there. There's a barrier between us and that which everybody can see, all sorts of things we long for and we want. We want to live, we don't want to die. We want to create, we don't want to be frustrated. We want to love, we don't want to always be breaking up. But heaven is all that we could ever long for. In God is all that we could ever hope for. And so if you doubt Christianity is true, or if when we struggle as believers to doubt, God can give us what we want from him. Let's understand that our problem is not simply that we don't want to believe it. It's that we can't trust it because of the bigness of the promise. There's a certain amount of us that, that part of us that wants to protect ourselves from giving all the hope to which that promise says should be given. If that gospel is not true, it's tragic. If there was not a part of your life before you came to Christ and you doubted the gospel and it wasn't tragic to you, it didn't cause you to mourn. I don't think you quite understood the promise. All that you could hope for is found in Christ, is what the gospel says. So if you can't accept that as truth, that's fine. But no, I mean, that, that is sad. And when we struggle to live it out, that's sad because we're doubting the, the bigness of the promise. If the gospel is true, though, it changes everything. All that you've ever wanted is found. And it's not found through your work. The only work that you have to do is to realize there's nothing I could do. Christ did it all. The only law you have to follow is the law that says you can't do it but Christ came and did it for you. It changes everything. However, what motivates me, where I go, what I look for, what I'm doing, if this promise is true, it changes everything. It's a huge promise. The gospel is, is not a teaching that tells you how to live a better life. It's not a set of laws that tells you how to find a bit of joy or happiness. It says everything that you could ever want, that you ever wanted, everything that you could ever desire, that you ever desired, everything you ever wanted to not have be a part of your life, all the pain, all the suffering, that will be removed and replaced with all the joy you could ever think, you could ever imagine, you could ever have. But to a certain extent, you know, we, again, we, we want to protect ourselves from that. We also don't want to seem foolish. Uh, it can be a foolish idea that this is true. Um, as children, um, we grow up loving fairy tales, loving uh, um, happy endings, and loving the happily ever afters. Uh, but there comes a time when we kind of shy away from some of that. Um, Santa's not real, the two fairies not real, the Easter Bunny's not real. Um, all these, wait, oh, I'm sorry, spoiler alert. Um, we, we grow up in this uh, belief of some of these things, and we come to realize we get, they, uh, they're not true. But the reason why we believe them is because it is true that we need some type of supernatural power to save us. We long and we celebrated these things because of that. But as we grow uh, older and become cynic and experience um, disappointment, uh, we don't want people to think that we're foolish. We don't want people to think that, we don't want people to see when we're disappointed. Um, as I was uh, reading some uh, stuff, preparing for this sermon, one of the sermons I read directed uh, or uh, to an article written by a, uh, a 
she was a feminist and a social issue writer a few decades ago, a woman named Naomi Wolf. Um, and she uh, wrote an interesting article about how she is growing in angst with the social uh, secular world. And here's part of what she wrote. You should be able to follow along. Uh, should be a quote Wolf. Um, in the social world I inhabit, a secular careerist world of people who pride themselves on their cynicism, no subject of conversation, addiction, affairs, neurosis is forbidden, nothing except religious faith. Admitting to an interest in God is a real faux pas, something that evokes the social embarrassment that used to be called or caused by off-color jokes. Engaging in an act of spiritual search is for me now like a private vice. People laugh at it. People don't engage it. They laugh at it. Of course, a certain dry existentialism is cool. Witty atheism is very cool. Talking about God makes you uncool. This is the silliest fear. But since we're all 13 year olds old inside, it's very real, the fear that is. If you admit to being of spiritual interest, you'll be demoted from the crowd of cool kids to a lesser place, the crowd of nice kids. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, in an uh, essay he wrote on uh, writing to children and about fairy tales, um, spoke about how, uh, as a child, he loved uh, fairy tales. He loved them. Uh, but there came a time uh, when he was around 10 that he read the fairy tales uh, in secret so that he wouldn't be ashamed in front of his friends or in front of other people. Um, but he said that, uh, now that I'm 50, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childness, child, childliness and the desire to be very grown up. Um, so I think there, there is this fear and there is this the reality of the situation in which culturally it's somewhat unaccepted to believe and to celebrate supernatural ideas, to celebrate fairy tales, to celebrate um, heroes and happily ever afters. Obviously, it's not pervasive. We still love our Pixar films and so on and, and stuff like that. And um, we just, uh, Beauty and the Beast, of course, was just a uh, live musical was just done and it was hugely popular. And, uh, you know, that is a, a, a story about uh, tragedy, uh, but triumph through sacrifice and love, um, just uh, like many fairy tales are. Um, uh, I think uh, many of you were here, but uh, perhaps some of you were not. Um, but I was, uh, my last sermon here was about a month ago, and uh, I really appreciated working on it because it, it, it showed me a, a new way to see the beauty of God's redemptive story through um, his love through, for righteousness and how Abraham went uh, in petition for the salvation of Sodom and Gomorrah to the Father and then and we see in the New Testament about how Christ is sitting at the right hand petitioning on our behalf. And it's, it was something that I just a beautiful picture of God and his salvation. And there was a moment when I was reading the scripture from the New Testament where I, I started to, the emotions of the beauty of that picture welled up in me. And I tried to move past it really quick um, because I didn't want to appear emotional about the beauty of God in front of his church. Um, it's silly. Um, one, because, again, if that gospel is true, that salvation is real. Well, I mean, what better could we celebrate? Um, but it's, uh, this sermon prep really convicted me in a lot of ways and about uh, being more open about that and not thinking that I, as an adult I need to be greater than, than that, being moved by, by supernatural and beautiful things. But it is a place where some of us are. Um, the second is uh, the laughter of uh, addiction or of undue hope. Uh, right after, in verse 8 from chapter 21, right after where we left off, after the celebration, uh, while the celebration, I should say, is happening over the birth of Isaac and him being weaned and they're throwing this party, um, if you pick up and uh, if you turn to 21 verse 8, we're going to read a few verses there. You can follow along and I'm going to start. 
starting verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heirs with my son Isaac. And the thing, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not displease because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So uh, we, did, we do read in, in the beginning of this verse that uh, when the gift of Isaac was given, Sarah says, My, God has given me laughter. God has given me the promise to which he said he would. And there's a certain amount of joy, perhaps too much joy placed in Isaac. Actually, definitely too much joy placed in Isaac. How do we know this? Because we see her go into super protection mode. Ishmael is, is making fun of or laughing at um, Isaac's expense. And because her joy is so caught up in Isaac, her immediate thought is, get away from my treasure. Get away from my son. I don't want to be reminded of you. I don't want to see you. Do not mess with my hope, with my treasure. Again, this was, Ishmael was Sarah's idea. Take her and have a child. But now when God has given her the gift, uh, she cannot bear the sight of them or the the sight of Ishmael laughing at the expense of her, her son. And so she sends her away. So the first laughter is a, a problem of not wanting to hope. And the second is a problem of putting too much hope in something that does not deserve it, that cannot fulfill your hope. What happens when we do so? Anytime someone says something about it, belittles it, someone says something that, uh, someone suggests it won't give you what you expect of it, they almost become an enemy. They're attacking what you are building your life upon. And you want to get away. You want to be separated from them. You don't want to deal with it. Some of the times you're going to be confronted with you put your hope in something, realized it wasn't going to work, and you've moved on to something else, but that something is really close to that past failure. And you're constantly reminded of how you failed. You made the mistake of trusting this. You made the mistake of putting your hope in this. And so you just need to get away because you haven't experienced your hope fulfilled yet. And so the reminder of your past failures and where you put your hope and where you looked to find your joy are not bearable. You have to get away from them. So true was Sarah. So true was Abraham. In the next chapter in 22, the famous story of God saying to uh, Abraham, take your son Isaac, your only son, and sacrifice him. Here, this couple went through this long period of drought, and what they perceived as a drought, and God fulfilling his promise. Doubts, failures, trying to get it through other means, those means causing even more pain, and then God delivers at the time to which he was needed. And then he comes along and he says to Abraham, take that son and sacrifice him. Why does he do so? Uh, because Abraham needed something more than Isaac. Isaac was a gift for sure. But what was more important to Abraham in this world than Isaac was the giver of the gift. The God who gave Isaac. 
we uh, in our uh, growth group have been going through uh, um, Luke, and uh, we read a few weeks back a story about a bunch of guys who were blind and were healed, and how all of them, except one, just left and went and celebrated the fact that they could see, uh, but only one went back to Christ and said thank you. Uh, why? Because for most of us, we celebrate our gifts that God gives us as the ultimate that we need instead of seeing the gifts as directing us to him as the ultimate that we need. Abraham and Sarah needed to see this. They needed to be pushed to see this. And so that is why Abraham is directed by God to do so. And of course, we know the story. Uh, God ultimately does not um, have Isaac laid on the altar. He provides a different miraculous means to which the sacrifice can be made. Um, but we're not going to go too far into that. But God has come to Abraham and Sarah, and he said to them, Isaac was the gift, but Isaac is not your ultimate gift. He's not the giver. I am the giver. I am what you really need, what you truly need. And that leads us to a last piece of laughter. Um, again, the name Isaac means laughter. It means uh, uh, to see and to know and experience laughter. And so we have the laughter of of the gospel, the laughter of grace. G.K. Chesterton, uh, a famous uh, fiction and Christian thinker and writer, uh, wrote an essay called The Ethics on Elfland. Um, his, why should, you, should, why should you write fairy tales? Why should you write um, happily ever after? Um, in it, he says there's basically three parts to every good fairy tale. Um, think you have them. Um, the first part is acknowledgement of hopelessness. Um, that is something that Abraham and Sarah nailed. <laughs> um, uh, they had that one down pat. Um, uh, the second is uh, the story takes place that exists uh, within a powerful and mysterious world. Um, there's Lots going on. There's powerful things happening, and there's mysterious things happening. And the last is there's a heroic key or figure that does something, that opens a door, that makes a, wins a, a war or makes a sacrifice or something to bring the hopeless in line with the powerful and the mysterious world, to bring it within unity, to bring happily ever after. Uh, Tolkien. Uh, in his essay uh, on fairy tales, is the name of the uh, essay, uh, speaks of that last part, and he writes this. The consolation of fairy tales, the joy of the happy ending, or more correctly, the good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn, for there are no true end to any fairy tale. This joy, which is one of the things which fairy tales can produce seeming supremely well, is not essentially escapist, nor figurative. In its fairy tale or other world setting, it is a sudden and miraculous grace, never to be counted on to recur. It does not deny the existence of the catastrophe, of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these nests the possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. It denies, in the face of much evidence, if you will, universal final defeat, and insofar is evangelum, giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. It is the mark of a good fairy story, or of the higher or more complete kind, that however wild its events, however fantastic or terrible the adventures, it can give the child or man that hears it when the turn comes, a catch of breath, a beat and lifting of the heart, neat to or indeed accompanied by tears, as keen as that given by any form of literary art and having a peculiar quality. Uh, that's what happened to me when I was preaching this uh, a month ago. Uh, I had a catch of breath and I quickly tried to move on to run from it to a certain extent. Um, but that is, the gospel is forever that catch of breath, to be forever captured 
by the truth and the beauty of who God is. And to forever have all of your longings met in him. See, we have a, a greater Isaac. We were given the gift of Isaac, but we're also given a, a greater gift. The gift of Christ. Uh, if you remember back in chapter 18, verse 14, uh, when God hears Sarah laugh, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Um, and if there, is there anything too hard for the Lord is a good idea of what's going on here. But um, in a lot of the translations uh, in the commentaries, it says that the best translation is, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything that the Lord can't do? Is there anything to which you marvel at and you think that it's bigger than God? Is there anything that God couldn't do to cause you to wonder, to be in awe of? I think God answers us. Again, if God had given the child to Abraham and Sarah back when Sarah was of childbearing years, they would have been thankful. They would have celebrated the child. They would have looked forward to what God was going to do. But they and we wouldn't have seen it as a miracle. The miracle that it was. A barren couple were given life. And many years later, a virgin was given life. Was given a child. In Proverbs 8, uh, 30, there's this interesting passage where Certain characteristics are given human characteristics. And um, there's a part here where wisdom is speaking as a female. And wisdom is talking about the creation event. And in verse 30, she says, then I, will be, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him. Wisdom was with God as he was creating. And then, of course, in John 1, we're told that the word, the truth, the wisdom... Uh, was with God while he was creating and was creating with God. And that he was in conversation and fellowship and relationship with God. So we have the Christ who created, who is wisdom, who is truth, step into his creation through a virgin a greater Isaac appears, the child of promise that Abraham was promised becomes its ultimate promise. And then this child. He was a delight, as Proverbs 30 said. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him. He was laughter. He was joy with the father with the spirit and then he steps into his creation and he heads to the cross um, George Herbert uh, wrote a fairly well known poem called The Sacrifice not, perhaps not in modern Christendom as, as well known as it previous was it's a longer poem I took out it's about six stanzas to which I want to read uh, for you he writes, O oh, all ye who pass by, whose eyes and mind to worldly things are sharp, but to me blind. To me who took eyes that I might you find. Was ever grief like mine? To the princes of my people make a head. Against their maker they do wish me dead. Who cannot wish except I give them bread. Was ever grief like mine. Weep not, dear friends, since I have both, since for both, sorry, since I for both have wept, when all my tears were blood, and while you slept, your tears for your own fortunes should be kept, was ever grief like mine. But, oh my God, 
my God, why thou leave, why leavest thou me, the Son in whom thou delight to be, my God, my God, was grief like never was grief like mine. Shame tears my soul, my body many a wound. Sharp nails pierce this, but sharper they confound. Reproach, which all free, which I am bound, was ever grief like mine. Now heal thyself, physician, now come down. Alas, I did so when I left my crown. And Father's smile for you to feel his frown was ever grief like mine. See, the, the Trinity, the God of laughter, of joy, of smiles, Christ left behind so that we can see God mourns our lostness. And so he gave up for a time that rela relationship, that fellowship, that joy, and took our sadness on, his, on the cross, took our sin on the cross, took our pain so that he can give us God's smile. He can give us the laughter we all need. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Your creator, the creator of all you've ever seen and known, every gift, every glimpse of joy and happiness has outstretched his hand to you to turn your frown into a smile, to turn your sadness into laughter, to direct you to him so that he can give you the joy he always wanted for you. Abraham, in seven, chapter 17, when God promises again to bring his child, fell to the ground in laughter. And then in the garden, when Judas approaches with the mob, and the mob says, who is he? And Christ says, I am. We're told that the mob that is coming to detain him fell to the ground in awe of the power of Christ. That is the one who wants to use his power to bring you laughter. The creator, the all-powerful. God is greater than all his gifts he's ever given you. And he will always give you what you need for his will to be done in your life. Every Isaac will be given at the right time. But the ultimate Isaac has been given already. And your joy and your happiness and your laughter has been extended as a gift to you to accept. If you look back at verse 1 in chapter uh, 21, it reads, The Lord visited Sarah, and he said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah doubted that he would, he would fulfill his promise. And that's why she laughed. And then in verse 18, verse 15, as we said, she, she, like the mob that showed up to confront Christ, still had an awe, still had a wonder. And so she says she was afraid. And so she lied. She said, I didn't laugh. And Christ said, yes, but you did. But then in 21, he gives her her laughter back. But he gives her the right one. He gives her the laughter that she really needed. She didn't have to protect herself because she wasn't going to be let down. She didn't have to doubt because Isaac was a real gift, pointing to an ultimate gift in Christ. Obedience and patience are what we would do if we knew everything God knows. Obedience and patience are what we would do 
if we knew everything God knows. But we need to grow in our faith. We need to be challenged. We need to be pushed closer to God. And so God puts us in these places at times. People need to see that we really love God because they have struggling with the reality of that promise of the gospel. They need to see people who are really trusted, who really are, are faithful to it, and therefore have the patience and the obedience, even though we struggle at times with it. That's why Hebrews 11 in the, the uh, well-known Hall of Faith says this about Abraham uh, in verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham at one point thought, God cannot do this for me, so I need to do it for myself. But God tested him and grew him and pushed him to the point where Abraham said, I can sacrifice my son and God can give him right back. You're never going to be asked to sacrifice your ultimate Isaac, Christ. But sometimes... You might need to, for God's will to be done, God's glory to be brought forth, give up something. But if you need it, it'll be yours. If God's will is dependent upon it again at some time, he can give life right back to it. When you find yourself in despair, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what am I delighting in more than the one who lost the laughter of the father so I could have it? What is my Isaac? What do I have to demote? What am I reveling in more than Jesus? You are given Isaac's name. As was promised to Abraham, you are given the name laughter, joy, fulfillment as his church, as his follower, his disciple. I hope today you, you have seen that beautifully displayed through uh, these people that God did so amazingly uh, brought forth his, his plan, his joy, his longing for his salvation. And may your longings be directed uh, through the gift of Isaac to your ultimate gift of Christ. Ask yourself this week, what are the Isaacs to which I'm giving more hope to than I, I should? Ask yourself this week, what have I, what emotions, what hopes have I hidden from myself? Have I tried to, not hidden from, have I tried to hide from myself? Because I can't believe the huge promise of the gospel. What are you protecting yourself from because you don't think God can give it to you? You don't think God can be the answer for Abraham went to Sarah and he said to her, yes, but you did laugh. But you're gonna, there's going to come a day when you're going to know real laughter. And you're going to look back upon everything that happened to you to this point and see how it's going to lead to the blessings of the nations that I promised. We're all going to go through moments when we feel like we need to run and hide from the things that we messed up in the past, from the things we put our hope in in the past, and we look back upon and think that's silly, that was foolish. And God is going to say to us at some point, he's going to show us how he did something we didn't even think he could do. He brought us and he brought others to his laughter in a way that which we never saw. He was direct and blunt with Sarah and he said, yes, but you did. And 
he's direct and he's blunt with us and he's saying, yeah, but you've laughed at me, but I gave you my son so that you can know real laughter. Let's pray. Father, what a gift. Christ, what a sacrifice. Spirit, what a counselor. Always pointing us back to Christ. We thank you for the gift of Isaac that points us to the sacrifice and the gift of the son. Spirit, don't let us forget it. Don't let us take it for granted. Confront us about what our Isaacs are, where we're hiding ourselves, trying to protect ourselves from hope because we can't trust you. Help us to realize the fullness of your promise, of your heaven, of relationship with you. Help us to love it, to long for it. Direct us to you because of it. Use us to lead others. First, each of us here within this church, help us to, to be a, a gift of Isaacs to each other, wetting each other's lips with that promise. Through the way we love each other, forgive each other, teach, admonish each other, share our thanks for you with each other. And help us to take it to our lost friends. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know it, bring them to me or to someone else. Bring them to you in some way. Help them to know the truth of the Christ who stepped out of the laughter and into our pain so that he can bring us in back into his laughter, into his joy. In your name we pray. Amen. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen.